I um, was hospitalized a couple of times. I lost like 35 pounds in two weeks. I really just thought it was the end for me, like the end of my life. I didn't think I was going to make it. Welcome back to Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups, where we examination where we examination, where we kick off by making a mistake <laughs> just to prove to you that it's okay to do that because there will be a lot of mistakes. And making her first mistake of the morning is... <laughs> and already... Sharon, Sharon Morton. <laughs> you already... Sharon and just Do you to... want to start over? <laughs> no, I want to keep all of this just to show people okay. exactly what is the theme of this show. Sharon, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm so good. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Thank you for agreeing to this for some unknown reason. And don't and don't feel bad about my name. Everybody fucks it up. So <laughs> I feel more bad about my own name than I do anybody else's. So I don't feel bad about your name, Sharon. Oh, OK, great. <laughs> for a quick rundown of people who might not know, Sharon is a host of Skin Deep and uh, um, the Small Business Report. I used to be on the Small Business Report as well on SiriusXM Radio. Yes. So when she's not here, you can find her there and you should. But we're going to get right into it. Sharon has had a long storied career on radio spanning over 20 years. She has her show Skin Deep, which covers issues of mental health, physical health, marital well-being, which considering my other show, The Fittest Fat Kid You Know, I can relate to that talking on those topics. Mm. But today, we're going to talk about the mistakes she's made along the way. So let's just get all nice and warm into this. Tell me about your big mistake. Ah, so um, I've had quite a few, as I'm certain most people have by the time they've reached my age or my position in terms of my professional life. So yeah, I've been in TV and radio for over 20 years. What were you going to say, Bruce? I was going to say, now a mistake I'm not going to make is I'm not going to ask you your age because I don't appreciate when people do that to me. Oh, I don't, I don't care. I'm 56. My God, you look spectacular. <laughs> Thank you. Black don't crack. You've heard that, right? I know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but at any rate, um, I, um, I, I'd have to say one of my biggest mistakes occurred maybe about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine um, got me an interview for an on-air position um, on television, an on-air news position. And I was so excited and I got there and I had to audition and I had to audition with the current anchor. And he was not nice at all. And sometimes when you're younger, you tend to um, not be as patient um, or tactful as you are once you get older. Because once you're older, you've learned a lot, you've gained all this wisdom. But at the time, I did not appreciate the way that he was speaking to me. And I actually got into an argument with this gentleman, which was crazy, right? I'm here to audition. <laughs> for my dream job. And, you know, it could have just been a test. They probably were just testing me to see what kind of disposition that I had and if I could handle um, things under pressure. And I failed it miserably. No, you know, needless to say, I never heard back from them. It was just a disaster. Did the argument happen on, technically on air? While I was sitting. During the interview. Yes, yes. 
it during the interview, they put me, um, you know, next to the anchor at the anchor's desk. Uh, it wasn't on air or live, so there was no audience except for the employers who were judging me to determine whether I could uh, be a co-anchor. But it was mid-audition. It was mid-audition. And I didn't just, I didn't get into like, it wasn't like a screaming match, but um, it was very obvious that I was angry and I wasn't having any of what he was saying. And it was just a mess, just a mess. I look back now even and say, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? So yeah, so I think that's my biggest fuck up. <laughs> what do you think you could have done to mentally prepare for that moment? Um, I thought I was pretty mentally prepared, but I think I just wasn't thinking that they would test me in that way. So I probably could have prepared myself to be professional at all costs, which I thought I was. I've, I've always been, but I've never been put through a test like that. And so I would say to anyone out there listening, you know, if you're on a job interview, even if they say something that's horrible, um, you just have to keep your composure, be professional leave and then, you know, file a complaint or whatever, if you know, you're not going to go work for this person, but it was just a mess. So what was the anchor, a man or a woman? It was a man. Do you think the fact that you're a woman played a part in his, uh, testing you? He was going to test men differently from women. And so, because what he was saying was very condescending and it was pushing some buttons. And so, you know, I just fell for it. And it was just a big mistake. How often through your career, especially in the early part of your career, did you have to deal with, well, let's call it what it is, very pointed misogyny and just the absolute disrespect and disregard for yourself as a communicator, as a news anchor? Woman. Woman. Quite frequently. I think uh, most women can identify with with this in that, um, especially when I was a younger woman, um, I dealt with sexism, um, sexual harassment, all of those things that I think most young women deal with almost on a daily basis. I'll never forget being chased around my office desk by a male colleague, running literally from him as he was begging for a kiss. And it was in the office. So, you know, and I was just in my 20s and terrified and didn't know whether to tell. Was it just? I found out he was doing this to other women as well. I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was just me. But I did finally tell. But I was just so, so afraid I was going to lose my job, be blackballed, like so many women are when they tell. When you did tell, because I think this is a very important story. When you did tell, what was management's reaction? Surprisingly, management supported me. Um, and that's when I found out he'd been doing this to other women. They knew about it. Um, the other women didn't report it, though. So they knew the women wouldn't report it for fear of losing their jobs. So they couldn't. So management couldn't really do anything because they would need someone to, you know, um, report it and put it on paper. And so uh, I finally did. After months, I was just tired of the harassment and. Um, management put a stop to it. So I was really lucky. This is way before me too. Again, I was in my 20s. I'm in my 50s now. So yeah, I was very fortunate. 
and that I, I was able to go to management and they took care of it. And by take care of it, they fired his ass? Um, they didn't fire him. They re reprimanded him and um, told him that he was not allowed to come around me or any of the other women ever again, which he didn't. Um, but no, they didn't fire him. They should have, but they didn't. But we never had the problem again, so that was a good thing. We were just relieved. But, you know, it, it's, I think you can talk to any woman and probably some men, you know, that, uh, you know, have been in any field, not just broadcast. Uh, you know, it's a real thing and people are really afraid of losing what they have or, or not being able to get another job in, in that field. And there's almost always a power imbalance where the person doing it to you is several steps up on the ladder than you are. So there's that as well. Yeah. And when you're young, I mean, I think certain people prey on young women because they know you have no power and that you're fearful and this is your first job or second job and you're just starting your career. Don't have experience and don't know how to deal with these certain circumstances. Right. And also at the time, back when you were in your 20s, we were all, we were trained societally that there were men roles and women roles. And one of the things that it was implied is that sort of like, well, this is just the thing it is. Boys will be boys. Yeah. Girls get pursued. It is fine. It is fine. He doesn't mean to rape you over the news desk. What he means to do is he's just, <laughs> he just, he just thinks you're attractive and, and let's face it, Char, you should be flattered. Ah. The wonderful prevailing attitude at the time, which thankfully is being seen for what it is, which is poison. Right. Yeah. And, and changing, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Totally. Raised by a single mother. So ah. I learned respect. So. Okay, great. That's great. Looking back on your career, before we leave the, the topic of misogyny, can you pinpoint moments in it where you're sort of like, ah, there, that was an opportunity that I feel should have been mine, but it was denied to me because I fell on the wrong side of the XY chromosome for the people in the room? <laughs> uh, several times, yeah, where... Maybe um, I had the idea, but a male, um, and I shared it with a male, and he shared it with the group, and he took credit for it. <laughs> they assumed that it was his idea. Um, I, my company, I have a media company, Morton Media, and um, every time I would walk in a room, especially, as I said, when I was younger, and I would have my staff, one or two staff members, who were, one of them was a white male, everyone in the room would just gravitate toward him and shake his hand and say, oh, thank you for coming. Thank you, Mr. Morton. <laughs> right. Thank you, Mr. Morton. This is a wonderful presentation. Right. And I'd be like, excuse me. Right. <laughs> That's Steve. I'm Sharon Morton. And they'd be yeah. like, you know, they'd do a double take. So, yes, <laughs> very, very used to that. Not anymore so much but um, quite a bit in the past. Well, I'm glad that times are moving on. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I used to say, hey, when I, in my next life, I want to be a male. I want to be a man because, you know, you could just move about freely. You don't have to worry about anybody sexually harassing you or raping you or anything, unless you're in prison, of course. But <laughs> short of that. 
Having never been, I can't speak to the veracity of that. I do think there might be a little bit of popular culturizing going on there, but who knows? <laughs> I don't want to find out. Right. <laughs> What's funny is if you look on TikTok or social media, there's some argument of, of a lot of men talking about the fact, but on our side, like this is comparable and it's not. It's still a problem for guys, but not as comparable as like, hey, you might be walking down the street and somebody might go, you know, there's my next sexual conquest, whether she wants it or not. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you guys don't have to worry about that in most instances. Don't yeah. have to worry about that in almost every instance. It's more right. like, but we do have this thing where like, oh, we're not allowed to feel where at least that's changing as well. But by far in the realm of problems, not your life and your sexual well-being can be totally taken away from you at any moment by some person who just doesn't respect the fact that women are humans too. And I do think it's good that more and more men are starting to understand, you know, connect with their emotional side and they're allowed to express themselves now instead of keeping it all bottled up. We've talked about that on my show as well on SiriusXM. And because that causes a lot of um, psychological and emotional issues and problems when you can't express yourself. So that's changing. Yeah. And it was looked down upon. I, I, my father died when I was eight and none of the males in my family took interest in me. So I didn't have an uncle or, or anyone to teach me. So I lacked male knowledge, which at the time when I was a teenager was incredibly frustrating. I didn't know how I was supposed to behave, but because of that, I came into my twenties and thirties, not giving a flying fuck about, well, this is how a man would do it. It's how a man would feel about it. It's like, when you talk to a woman, you talk to her like this. Why do I talk to a woman like that? Why don't I just talk to a woman like I would talk to anybody else? Right. But it's interesting to see because a lot of my friends, I have a friend who has a, a really fairly decent marriage, but when he talks to his wife and his wife was very, has been very good and very kind to me, he'll talk to her and he'll be like, you know, you know, women like to feel protected. I was like, Maybe women don't like to be spoken about as if they were small creatures that needed to be penned in. My thought, I don't know. Well, you know, I think we do want to feel protected by our spouses. Um, I don't, I think there's a difference between feeling protected and feeling um, like, you know, you're, you have to do what I say. You have to stay mm -hmm. pregnant and stay in the kitchen. There's a big difference. So aside from misogyny being a bit of a thorn in your side, which it is for almost every woman in almost any career, almost any, every culture, every, everywhere around the world. But yeah, let's move on. Like you said, what are other little bugaboos that have happened to you along the way? I, you know, I've been very fortunate in that I haven't had a tremendous amount of fails. I mean, I've had, you know, several that have luckily allowed me to get up and, you know, kind of brush myself off and keep going outside of the one that I mentioned where I got to an argument on my interview during my interview. Everything else, I think, for the most part, have been minor and I've been able to uh, rebound from them, recover from them. When these more minor fails were occurring in the moment, did they feel like defeats at the time or did the rebound happen immediately or did you need a moment to reflect? Did you have to find the silver lining? Yeah, a couple of them, you know, I was able to jump right back up. But yeah, there were a couple that, you know, I had to sit back and think about it and, and recover and figure out what I'm going to do or what I was going to do. One in particular, and I think I might have mentioned this in Clubhouse. You and I were on um, Clubhouse a couple of mm -hmm. weeks ago. 
And I mentioned that in early 2020, I caught a really bad case of COVID. Um, and I had just opened a second business a couple of months before then, um, in 2019. Late 2019, I just uh, started a, uh, a new business and early 2020, I caught COVID. And this was way before they had vaccines or anything. No one knew what was going on or what to do. Perfect time for your health to just go through the floor. Yeah. And I um, was hospitalized a couple of times. I lost like 35 pounds in two weeks. I really just thought it was the end for me, like the end of my life. I didn't think I was going to make it. So much so that I read my will to my adult children um, because I just, just didn't think I was going to make it through the week. I was in such bad shape. And I had to temporarily suspend both of my businesses, the one that I just started and Morton Media that I've had for over a dozen years, because I wasn't thinking about surviving business. I was thinking about surviving life, right? Right. And so- um, The important things. Right. You really do understand what's important when you think you're not going to make it, when you think you're going to die. You really understand what certain things mean like, oh, designer shoes. I, I never even thought about that. I never thought about money. I never thought about anything while I was dying, right? Except to live, right? I thought about my children, my husband and life. And you, when you come out of it, like I was so blessed to do, that's, that's what it kind of opened my eyes, you know? So uh, I had to shut down my businesses. And when I recovered from COVID, I just felt like a failure um, on one hand in terms of business, but I felt like a winner when it came to surviving what life throws at you sometimes. The important win. <laughs> yeah, the important win. But it, it took me quite some time to try to recover, and I ended up ha having to go back and temporarily suspend um, that business as well, and I haven't reopened it because I... It was like eight months before I fully recovered. And um, it just, you know, even the manufacturer that I was working with, they went out of business. So I didn't even have a manufacturer anymore. Was this your beauty line? This was my beauty line, yeah. The, I'd, I'd gotten a couple of contracts with stores abroad, and those stores went out of business because of COVID. So it had some long-reaching financial effects for me. All that investment gone. All that investment, the hard work, the long hours. But you know what? I really, I wasn't lamenting, but so much because I was just happy to be alive. If I died, they would have, those things would have been gone anyway, right? So I was like, you know what? You can always start, restart this thing when you get on your feet. It's just, it's just a blessing to be on your feet. So yeah, that was a fail in one way, but I think a win in the most important way. Have you had long-term side effects from the COVID? Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, um, like I said, it took about eight months for me to get back to almost 100%. But yeah, COVID did a number on my liver. I've never had any issues mm. with my liver. When I went to the hospital, they thought I was an alcoholic because the numbers reflected that. That's what COVID did. And it also affected my thyroid. And, and I just a month ago got a clean bill of, bill of health. Uh, no, not a month ago, three months ago, a clean bill of health on my thyroid. It attacked my thyroid in 2020. And it wasn't until the end of 2021 
that um, my thyroid is much better, but you can see it. You can see my thyroid right here. It shouldn't be protruding like that. But COVID just, you know, it affected everybody differently. And it, it enlarged yeah. it. Did it also yeah. destroy its, and it destroyed its function? It did. It was going up and down, up and down. It was just, a, it was a mess. One moment I was hypo, you know, I had hypothyroidism. The next moment I had hyperthyroidism. COVID had just done so many crazy things to my body. So they couldn't even have put you on Synthroid because you might have gone up and suddenly you've got four times the amount of I, yeah, the, the, iodine the hormone. Or yeah, the hormone. But they did. They put me on it, but they just changed the dosage. And then they would keep me on it for like two months and then take me off and then put me on and then take me off. Was it like an energy roller coaster when it was up? You were running around like crazy. And then when it was down, you were drained. Um, no, I didn't. That didn't have an effect on me. But um, my appetite, you know, was going up and down. So but you know what? Like I say, in the end, I'm here. I'm alive. So many people died from COVID. I was in the hospital. We were in a wing, a separate wing back then. They were. It was like we had leprosy or something. They put us <laughs> in, in some dark part of the hospital, you know, and the nurses and doctors would come in with the space suits, which I couldn't blame them. You know, this no. was early 2020. No one knew, you know, what was going on. So it was crazy. But I'm, I'm here to tell the story. I'm, I'm here to give my testimony. So, And I'm very happy that you are <laughs> here to tell the story. Thank Clearly. You. Do you have plans on... Possibly restarting Skin Deep, the Skin Deep, it is called Skin Deep Beauty Line. Yeah, it's the Skin Deep Beauty Store. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm working on that now. Um, I have to find a new manufacturer and there's some other things that I have to do, but I'm not in a rush, you know, Bruce. That's one thing I learned when I got COVID, you know, things, they will happen. You just work toward them. And um, if they're meant to be, they will. You just put in the, the time and the energy and the effort. But I don't make it like my number one priority, you know. Uh, again, the important thing is that you came out of it and you've gotten back to being healthy. So I wouldn't consider that a fail, would you? Let's put it this way. Had you died and that was the fail, one, there'd be right. no interview. And two, <laughs> that's not a fail. That's just like the end of life horror. It's like the the business, yeah. the business being stopped because of it yeah and it's a little bit but i mean it's hard to even consider that a fail because that's not a mistake happened that is you nearly died <laughs> and when you're nearly dying having the energy to put together your beauty line yeah. <laughs> right you know it kind of seems trivial i have to like <laughs> right <laughs> disappointing sure important no <laughs> let me throw the question at you in a slightly different way throughout your years of being the you that you are what is the strangest, weirdest, most inexplicable, oh. what the fuck moment has occurred to you in your career? Not necessarily a bad thing, not oh. necessarily a failure, but just something that made you sit down, go home, sit down, have a cup of tea and go like, well, that happened to me today. And I will have to remember that for the rest of my life. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've had those. Um, I'm, sh you know, maybe I have and I just don't remember right now, but. The strangest thing that ever happened to me. Oh, I, I know. Okay, so I got an invitation um, to the White House when um, President Obama was in office. And I was invited by this wonderful tech company, BDPA. Um, 
And I was, I didn't know I was supposed to stay with them while I was there in the White House. So uh, I'm in the White House and it was a technology day at the White House and they were highlighting small businesses that were invested in tech. And I just thought I could just roam around, right? <laughs> the White House. The Oval Office is right there. You just go look around. It's fine. Right. <laughs> so I was in the gold room taking pictures and video. I went to that. They had all these different color rooms. The blue room, I'm walking around. And um, this um, agent, I guess he was Secret Service, came up to me and he said, ma'am, who are you? What are you doing up here? And I said, oh, I was invited for the tech day. He says, no, you're supposed to be downstairs with press. So he escorts me downstairs to the press room that you always see on television when they do the press conferences, you know, in the, in the um, press room. And I am amazed, right? Because I am a press person, but I wasn't there as press that day. But I'm like, oh my God, this is what I see on television all the time. This is amazing. I'm in the room, right? <laughs> so um, I'm in the room. I'm in there. There's some, some other reporters in there and they're just milling around and sitting down and taking notes. And I'm looking all around in amazement. And this reporter noticed how amazed I was. He says, oh, you want to go up to the podium? I'll take a picture of you. I was like, I'm looking around me. <laughs> He's like, yeah, go on up to the podium. Let me have your phone. I'll take a picture. <laughs> I'm posing. <laughs> Suddenly it's like Penn and Teller at, in Vegas where you can go up on the stage and just look at their props. It's like, yeah, go up at the podium. I go up to the podium. I'm posing like, you know, hey, I'm a news person here at the White House. <laughs> he takes about three or four photos. The next thing we know, we're being herded to another part of the White House. And there's like maybe eight of us. And where we end up, there's about, 50 reporters from all over the world, CBS, ABC, you know, they have their cameras. We're all, we're shoved into the mix with these reporters and I'm in heaven, right? <laughs> I have no idea where my BDPA people went, right? I just know that. Oh, forget them. This is like cool. <laughs> right. I'm in the best place. So they say, okay, you all come on, let's go. So I walk along with, with um, all of these folks. We end up in the gold room. There's a dais like uh, for all of the reporters that and anchors because they have space for their cameras, right? There's all this equipment. So they get on the dais and then the rest of us, we, we're kind of sitting in front of them. And my BDPA colleagues are way across the room and they see me walking in and they're like, what? <laughs> and then out walks President Obama and he says a speech and I'm like, oh my God, you know, this is surreal. And then when he's done, somebody says, President Obama, it's your birthday. We're going to sing happy birthday to you. We sing happy birthday to the president. I'm think I'm pinching myself. Okay. I'm pinching myself. This can't be real. And you know, at the, the last stanza, <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. It's just incredible. It's just amazing. He waves to all of us. He leaves. And I practically faint because I can't believe this has all happened to me. And I finally get over to my colleagues who I was supposed to be with from the start. <laughs> so. And that was how I accidentally crashed the presidential press junket on his birthday. Right. <laughs> 
I mean, I still think about it. I've told my kids a million times. They're like, we know, Mom. And they finished the story for me. <laughs> I'm happy that I gave birth to you. However, the best day of my life. I have tons of pictures. You know, for anybody that doesn't believe me, I have tons of pictures from that day. So it was amazing. In closing, I'm going to ask you one last question, and which is this. What bit of advice would you give to somebody coming into the, uh, any field for something they should do and a piece of advice you would give them for something that they shouldn't do? Well, what I would do or something that you should do is always, always have a network, make friends, know people, um, know decision makers. It really, truly is who you know and who knows you. I, I think I've only ever had to interview for a job twice in my life. All of the other opportunities came because someone knew me and felt that I was capable of doing the job. And so it's really important to know people and establish relationships and to have a mentor, somebody who can, who's been down the road already and they can help you to navigate those landmines that you're going to step on occasionally in life and in business. And so I've been fortunate enough to have some wonderful people that have created or have presented or have shared fantastic ideas and opportunities with me. And I've had mentors, some young, some older, some my age, some are friends, some are just acquaintances, but they have all helped me to navigate um, the road. And, and believe me, no matter how old you get, like there's always room for improvement. I may be 56, but I'm always open to learning. I'm always open to, you know, someone sharing information and showing me the way or saying, hey, this is a better way, Sharon. I'm open to that. I, I will never say I'm old enough to know the answers. I'm an expert. I'm perfect. So that's what I would do. What I wouldn't do is burn bridges. Um, I've done that one time. I learned a terrible lesson. I should have told you that earlier. I totally forgot. It just came to came to mind. But I, bur I burned a bridge um, almost 30 years ago. And to this day, I still suffer repercussions as a result of it. Oh, please share that because that sounds like an incredibly valuable thing. Yeah, I can't share that story, but I will say that it's important that people not burn bridges, even if they don't like someone or they don't get along with someone, you know, just walk away. But don't don't burn that bridge. You never know who that person knows. And this person whose bridge I burned, they knew so many people and that impacted me. And so that's what I would say. Well, thank you for that. And then in closing. Plug yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm Sharon Morton, and I have a show on Sirius XM Radio called Skin Deep. It's all about your mental, physical, and financial health and wellness. We have a plethora of guests on that cover all kinds of topics. I also help and teach people how to get on Sirius XM Radio or co-host with me. I have a coaching program. So if you want, you can go to SharonMorton.com. Hopefully, Bruce will have my website up with the proper spelling of my name because there's so many crazy letters. <laughs> Her name has 18 letters. It's amazing. But but yeah, absolutely. I'll be throwing all the things you want into show notes so that when this does come out, it'll be there. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, thank you. So that's that's pretty much it. It's, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. That's another thing. Love what you do. Life is short, as I've learned the hard way. So you have to do what you love. Well, there you have it. 
She is the innovator of information. She puts the forward in forward thinking. She is the killer queen at the center of her own media castle. And you can find her on Sirius XM channel 141, Her Voices, or wherever else you find your podcasting consumables. Was there some question I should have asked this learned woman? If so, let me know in the comments. As always, follow me on any social media you can. And speaking of failures, join me next week where we get to find out what it's like to lose an Emmy with my pal, Barry Coffin. But I was singing three hours a night and tearing up my voice and I'd get in there Monday and could barely talk. And they basically said, you know, we're going to, uh, yeah, you're our most promising freshman, but if you don't quit all that rocking and the rolling, you know, we're going to uh, take your scholarship.